Welcome to the Cool Hunt Podcast. I'm here with Luca Nets, CEO of the Pudgy Penguins. Luca, thanks for being here. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you? Doing very well. Uh, appreciate you being on the show. Um, I like to start off every single show the same way because I'm always curious in uh, my guest answers. So, Luca, uh, I know a little bit about your background. You've done quite a few things, um, but a lot of people's first introduction to you was when you bought the Pudgy Penguins uh, NFT project. But I want to start even before that because you have a history of trading NFTs, making a lot of money doing so. Why did you buy your first ETH? I bought my first ETH because I thought price was going to go up. And so okay. I was a non-believer at first. I was a speculative buyer. And then as I took a deeper dive into Ethereum, I was like, yeah, this is the future. You're basically betting on the world's developers to build protocols worth billions, if not trillions of dollars, which is inevitable. And um, I was like, yeah, this is for sure going to win. So when you say you were a non-believer, like you got introduced to this by a friend or something like that, and you thought it was like a Ponzi or like, what do you mean by no, non-believer? I, I, I just didn't look into it. I was just like, he was, you know, my brother was like, hey, this is the future. So I was like, hey, I'm going to buy it. Price is going up. Price was going up at the time. And then, uh, and then it just worked out. It, um, something that you took a deeper dive once I made X amount of money, I was like, okay, so enough institutional capital is buying this now. So there must be clearly something here. And once I really understood it, it took me actually a couple of years to fully grasp it. And actually I grasp it now more than ever because of Pudgy Penguins. I'm like an unequivocal ETH believer because of it. But um, now I'm in a situation where I just think ETH is going to do its thing and it's going to be undeniable. Yeah. Um, so when was this actually when you first got introduced to it and you still didn't believe and then took you a while after that? Like when was that first introduction? Uh, 2016. 2016. Okay. Um, and then you obviously you took a deeper dive. You started kind of getting into the NFT space. What was your first introduction to the NFT space uh, overall? Ferocious. I wanted this ferocious piece. And there's a guy okay. that I followed was saying that NFTs were the future. So I just okay. followed, I believed, and uh, that kind of opened up Pandora's box. Uh, you have like an art background. Did you buy art in the past? Like uh, what, what kind of what kind of stuff did you do? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big art collector in the real world. So I have a tons of art that I've been buying and collecting. I'm just a huge collector in the real world of physical goods. And so when NFTs came around, the light bulb hit and I was like, well, this is a better way to collect all of the pros and the cons. And I dove right in. Okay. Um, and so did you start first by collecting the stuff you like that you knew that you were familiar with, like, you know, art, like ferocious, like, did you go into the one of one world? Like, what was that initial dabbling? Like, it was just things that I liked, things that I thought, well, one day we'll have these big digital frames. So what will look cool on a big digital frame? It was really kind of how I was looking at it. Yeah. So a lot of motion stuff. I felt like that was the edge with digital collectibles was that you could have this like layer of motion to it. So I bought like a bunch of, I just like thought like, what's my man cave going to look like 10 years from now? And I just picture this hallway with like all these different moving art pieces. And so I was just like collecting for that. Okay, nice. Um, and then this was maybe like what, 2020, 2021 or yeah, 2020. when was that? Okay. 
Um, and so I'm curious what the kind of like, it seems like you had the light bulb moment basically immediately with NFTs. You already collected art in the past. You are a collector. You said, um, what was the next step for you? Right? Like you obviously had some kind of like, I don't know, some kind of idea in your head. You were like, I need to do something more in this space outside of just being a collector. So like, what was that thought process like initially? Like, what were you, what were the things that were on your mind? Yeah. So it was an interesting moment. I got into PFPs and then one of my friends had a PFP project and he was like, I think I have the next board ape. I need your help. I, I've been trying to market it. It's not working. I was like, look, I'll, I'll give you some sauce. So I gave him some sauce. Turned out that the sauce that I gave him like completely changed his project around. It sold out, did really well. And then I wanted to be a part of it. I was like, Hey, uh, how can I be a part of this in a greater capacity? Like, we got something amazing here. He's like, nah, I don't want to give any equity. You know, I think this is really like my next big thing. I kind of want to do it myself. I was like pretty upset. I was like, damn, I will like want to be a part of this with you. So I ended up selling out his collection via like two Instagram posts. So I ended up taking a bunch of money and buying all these Instagram posts and I was arbing them to people. You know, I was buying Instagram posts for like five grand, selling them for 20. Um, and then that really got me familiar with the space because I was just getting intro to a bunch of different projects, really understanding, you know, what they're doing, what their roadmaps are, what their visions are. And then once the ARB, the post ran out, I thought to myself, well, this is an interesting space. I want to get into it. But kind of looking at, you know, where the pitfalls lied, I was like, well, this is a huge responsibility. I, I don't really want to like, you know, you know, be responsible. This is like tough. Yeah. And then... Fast forward a couple of months later, people are bidding on the Pudgy Penguins IP. And while well, I thought to myself, well, look, you know, all of the cons of NFTs have really come from extracting from the community. But if I go and buy this project, it seems like I should have a pretty, you know, or at least an easier time. And that was the case. And so uh, those are kind of the steps that led me to, you know, buying Pudgy Penguins, having that familiarity, seeing my one of my close friends do what he did with his. And then also, you know, understanding projects and their dan dynamics through arbing Instagram posts was a real interesting uh, dynamic for me. And once I kind of saw that and had no intention of buying or, you know, starting a project, but Pudgy Penguins was probably the only one that was just like an unequivocal yes, uh, especially for the price that I bought it for. It seemed like an absolute no brainer. And, you know, I build brands for a living. It's kind of what we've done. And I uh, felt like I should bring my talents to the Pudgy Penguins. That's amazing. Um, so there's uh, 20 questions that I want to ask you based on that. But can you uh, describe what Arbing uh, Instagram posts is for people that don't know? Yeah. So what happened was, is when he had asked me for help, I was like, okay, um, let me just do what I know how to do best, which is just like market creative and market. So I basically bought an Instagram post for him for like five grand and it got him like 80,000 Discord members. And so mm. he ended up selling the mint for like $4 million, which at the time means that I spent like 20, 30 grand in marketing dollars to make him 4 million bucks. And I was like, dude, this yeah. is, this is broken, right? Like <laughs> this is like, this, this is not sustainable. So I thought to myself, well, this is something that I can either, um, I, I, I can either like use it and maybe start my own. But then I thought to myself, I already saw like a couple weeks in, like, how like certain decisions of his was kind of creating chaos. I just didn't want chaos. Like one thing in my life is money is not, I'm not spending money or making money to create chaos for my personal life. There's no need for mm -hmm. that. But then I was like, okay, well, if 
I spent 40 grand to make him 4 million, then somebody would probably spend a million to make 4 million. I mean, probably that number would go as high as 2 million to make 4 million, as long as there's a return. And so people were catching on to the Instagram post that we were doing and kind of saw that it sold out and that it was so successful that before like the craze really took off, I went to all these Instagram pages that I paid and I basically said, I want to buy all of your Instagram slots for the next two, three months. You can't sell any other Instagram posts, but to me, what's your number for, you know, 50 posts for the next three months? I'm your only person. I'm exclusive. What's that going to cost? So I got a bunch of quotes between 200 and $500,000 and I paid them all. And basically what happened was is other people like Amazon resellers and core sellers would come to me and I would sell them, but then also other NFT potential NFT projects. I mean, I've sold posts for like hate beast and like primate planet and some of those projects that did super well back in the day. And I basically said, Hey, like 50 grand a post for a post that I spent 10 grand on and they would pay it because they knew the return, the potential return, at least if they did, they did, they did their job. And so I was able to kind of be the billboard. Like, you know, I was like gatekeeping the billboard and I just charged a premium and it worked out because they made their return. But, you know, pages didn't realize how cheap they were charging because they had never seen, you know, such a return vehicle before. And so I just came into the middle, saw a huge opportunity and said, hey, I mean, I, I, I probably it's, it's unbelievable because the amount of money I made and I, I automated the whole thing. I mean, I, I had certain SOPs like, Hey, like really vet the people that we're working with a lot, you know, for this to be sustainable, people have to have a good experience, but I had like a whole marketing. I took like three guys and I gave them the SOPs and the structure and they just handled it all for me. And we broke bread, but it was one of those situations where I probably spent 30 hours and made two, 3 million bucks doing it. That's amazing. Uh, so you said that you don't want certain kinds of chaos in your life or any chaos in your life. What were the things you saw that like even a few weeks in with your friend or with other projects that you're just seeing like either things go off the rails or just problematic things coming into their lives that you wanted to avoid? Yeah. So I think the main problem with web three culture and NFT culture today is lack of accountability. Nobody forced anybody to buy something. And so for example, my friend, he, he minted the project at 0.06 ETH. Right. It went all the way to 0.5 ETH within the first two weeks. It was like a 10x. And then it went down to 0.25 ETH. And everybody was like calling him a loser or he's not working hard enough. And it's like, well, in reality, you're five times in the money. You should have traded out when you were 10 times in the money if you had a plan. And now when things aren't going up only, you're bullying people. And this is where this needs to change. Right. So I saw that and like, I don't need people bullying me. Like I have no interest mm-hmm. in being bullied online by, by people who don't want to show their face. And so um, I saw that. And then I also saw this post by Gary V that was probably really impactful. It was a post that was going viral. It was basically like, if you're starting an NFT project, understand you have to give it your life. And it's like a huge commitment. And I also wasn't didn't know if I was wanted to make that commitment, but I thought, well, the space is huge. The space is making money. So why don't I just flip Instagram posts? And I probably made the same money as all the other founders, except I didn't do anything wrong. I just flipped Instagram posts. Yeah. Uh, and so it felt like my perfect little medium to like capitalize on the growth of the market, but then also not put myself in a situation where I was responsible because if I, if I bear responsibility, I'm going to commit. That's just the person I am. Yeah. Uh, and uh, kind of how that went down was like pretty fascinating to watch. Uh, to say the least, but it was uh, 
it was an interesting experience and uh, something that I think gave me a good finger on the pulse as to personality types. And it's honestly why I think the Pudgy Penguin deal was so successful because, you know, every NFT project up until this point has taken from their community. They've asked them of something. And so I feel like I'm the only one that has given and everything that I've done is to give and to make their experience better and to make sure they're happy. And I think that's kind of one of the core differentiators. People see that, right? Like there's, you can either invest in the people that are taking from you, or you can either invest in the person that is giving to you. And one is very obvious and one is less obvious. And so, um, or one isn't obvious. And, and that's why I think one of the reasons why I've been so successful up until this point is because I, I know exactly where these things have gone wrong, you know, extra collections, all that, like there has to be digital scarcity in your ecosystem. And, you know, our core competencies and our vision is to build a brand that isn't dependent on mints and royalties. And I think people believe in that vision and believe in the scarcity model and the fact that the bigger I grow the pudgy penguin brand, the more likelihood, you know, the NFT is to accrue in value. And so this is um, an interesting way of looking at things, but uh, super thankful for my little 30 hour consulting business that um, kind of helped help me get here. Yeah. So it seems like within that, the context of that business that you built initially, like you, you saw the ugly parts, you saw the good parts, and then you still decided to buy this project where like, I probably would have seen all that and been like, there's, there's money to make uh, elsewhere, like, you know, on the fringes, but I don't know if I need all that trouble like what made you even like you describing it sounds like you probably didn't have that inclination. Like what made you then want to say like, okay, I actually do want to buy this. Cause like at the time the pudgy penguin like brand was quite tainted. Uh, and you kind of went in and you were like, all right, I'm going to do this. Well, that was the beauty of it, right? The bar was so low. It was so tainted. Mm -hmm. It was so shit. Every bar had been missed that if I come in and just do the bare minimum, it's going to be better than what was being done before. Now, I haven't come in and done the bare minimum. I believe I've come in and done more than 99.999% of projects, maybe the exception of one or two, you know, in, in the top five. Yeah. And, and I think we, we've blown it out of the park and we've been able to do it with exponentially less resources than everyone. And so I'm looking at it and, you know, I, I, I thought to myself, well, the bar is low here. I can only be a savior. I can only be a net positive. I know what I'm good at and I know what I can do better than everyone else. I know how low the bar is just in general in the entire space. And I thought to myself, well, it was a risk. Don't get me wrong. So like it, it definitely could have went south. It could have went completely backwards and sideways, but you know, if it was going to go sideways or or south, it would have been because of my personality. I know my personality well enough. I don't have that. Like I'm good with people. It's, it's, it's what I'm good at. And so I knew, I knew the pudgy penguins, they're funny, they're good people. They're wholehearted. They're actually like, extremely hilarious you know and and like that's it's not like i'm dealing with like really angry malevolent i mean there's some communities with like yeah i wouldn't touch those things with a 10-foot pole they're like totally based and bullies and like i'm like no 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 intention to be a part of that like i'm cool with the cool pudgy penguins the funny people the memes the kind people the diverse people the inclusive people the smart people that's that's the pudgy penguin community so i knew i knew this already i knew i just needed to come in and show some leadership and show some competency and i think i've done nothing but that up until this point 
Yeah, I think most people would agree, uh, myself included. So you said an interesting thing in the, in the last point you made, which was that you're trying to build a brand not based around mints and royalties, and you've already kind of done a lot of things to show that you can make revenue or build a business around other things like merch and, and, and other things like that. So like, what what do you predicate or like, what do you think the future kind of business will look like? Uh, you know, not and 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 what kinds of things do you think you uh, are gonna find most successful that do end up kind of accruing more of that value to the NFT, which is another point that you made? Yeah, I think just content, brand awareness, you know, toys, collectibles. I think mm -hmm. it's just at the end of the day, you know, to me, just the way my mind's programmed, like being a collector, loving Yu Gi Oh, loving Pokemon, like. NFTs really at their core are just better first editions and better collectibles, right? Mm. And they're collectibles on steroids because you can license and monetize and add an, a bunch of interesting fun layers and like access to events and community members and, you know, status. Like it, it's all of the things that first edition Pokemon cards or first edition Mavic Gathering hollow cards or, you know, rare Yu-Gi-Oh cards, whether it's, uh, you know, blue eyes, white dress, like it, it's all of that but with like more pros and less cons and like no cons really, except for like maybe one or two. But so like if you can create a brand with that same type of awareness, then like, and you can accrue value to holders through licensing and monetization opportunities. I think you have a really interesting opportunity to tell a story and IP and to do something that has just quite frankly never been done before. And I believe like the path to getting a million dollar floor on a pudgy penguin is, or any NFT for that matter, is who can create the most awareness, right? And who can create the biggest fan base? Because if I have 10 million people who love pudgy penguins, you're telling me that 8,888 NFTs is too many to basically be entirely taken off the market. I mean, if I have 10 million people who love my brand, there's 8,888 of them who will buy a pudgy penguin and who will never sell, you know, like it's just, it's just about getting 10 million yeah. people to love my brand. I don't need to get 10 million people into web three. I don't like, that's mm -hmm. not, you know, there's a goal there, but in totality, I just need to get 10 million people to love my freaking brand to be like, I love that brand. Now easier said than done, right? Like very few brands have 10 million people who love their brand. But yeah. even if I can get a million people, right? I think a million people I, is something I've done many, many times over now, like a million people, it's actually not that hard. And then still one per saying 1% of them want to participate in the NFT, you know, it's still got this moment. And, and to me, I think a Pudgy Penguins represents more than what people think. You know, our ethos as a brand is how do we impact people in a positive way? And how do we make a difference? And how do we help people and animals across the world? And I actually believe that's an ethos that is going to resonate with a lot of affluent people. And I believe there's enough affluent people who believe in that vision and believe in that message and want to support and represent that vision and represent that message that eventually, you know, there won't be any to buy. And, and that's why I think pudgy penguins are inevitable. I think 8,888 is really not that many, right? And so eventually, if, if you have the right message behind your brand, the right positioning, the right awareness, it's, it's not if there's going to be a supply shock, it's when. And yeah. when there's a supply shock, there's a supply shock. And, um, you know, what happens next? Well, you've convinced me to literally never sell anything that I, uh, not, my penguin is never going anywhere. My little pudgy is never going anywhere. Um, 
Okay, so you have such an interesting take on this because you have a background in building brands. And so you see this in such a clear lens where this brand, you can accrue value to it. And the story is incredible, right? Like literally, you know, like we talked about tainted at the bottom, you buy it, it kind of moons ever since then. And you're, you're doing so much to kind of build that brand. Um, I'm curious in terms of the brand building portion of it, you initially got into this and you started building up these brands through Instagram posts and, you know, arming them for other communities. And that was something that was super successful for a while. What are, you know, is that still a, a thing that can, that can work? Like, what are the things that you think are kind of working now or will work for projects in the future? Yeah, I think it, it just depends on what your angle is, right? Like what's your value proposition? I think for us, you know, we, you know, uh, people are trying to copy our Instagram thing. I'm like, dude, it doesn't, if your brand doesn't make sense yeah, for you, yeah. you just have to find what works for your brand. You know, right. like what's, what's your angle and what's your positioning for your brand, I think is what's really important. And uh, at the end of the day, awareness is key. It's just top of the funnel. Like, are you horror? Are you dead fellas? Well, then what, what's going to make every horror fan in the world know your brand, right? Are mm -hmm. you Bored Ape, which is like, a boys brand like what are you going to do to tap into streetwear culture and pop culture and, and flexors you know what i mean like are yeah. you you know d gods are you a frat right like what does that frat audience look like how do you attract them you know for pudgy penguins we're a family-friendly universal ip right and we just want to make people happy and so who do i need to attract you know what i mean like what does that look like and you just create content around that i think a lot of people are just trying to force things too much and not getting really creative with their angling and positioning I mean, all of those brands, I could tell you just because my marketing experience, I could tell you five ways that I could blow up all of those brands. And some of them yeah. are already doing it and some of them are not, right? But I could tell you exactly how I'd position that Instagram content and that TikTok content and kind of go from there. Mm. Um, yeah, that's that's a very interesting approach. So I do want to ask you about the little pudgies. What was the thought process behind going multi-chain? Mm. I love that question. Um Hold on, just want to type this down really quick. Yeah, yeah you got a good idea on it. So I, ah. uh, the, I, I, sometimes I get a good idea and I just got to write it down. Before it's <laughs> of course. I mean, multi-chain was easy. Multi-chain is going to be the future. I would I would take the bigs already, but I think like the infrastructure is not there. I think it'll probably be six to 12 to 18 months. And obviously community, we had, I talked to the community. I thought it would be sooner, but they were like, nah, let's just wait. And I agreed because mm. like the infrastructure is like still kind of messy from a, from a third party side. But okay. the, the cross chain is inevitable. I mean, there's really five things and five points to it. I mean, the first one is just being able to hedge your bets. Like, dude, imagine Ethereum goes under, Vitalik dies, some source code gets yeah. lost. Like, what are my NFTs gone because of it? No. Like, you should have that protocol in place to save you. I think that's really important. The second one is how do you lean into a future narrative, right? Like there's going to be a bunch of chains that pop up that have huge NFT communities. I want to be a part of that. I want to be able to take our, my little pudgies and bring them on that chain and say, Hey, we have a top 10 PFP on Aptos. We have a top 10 PFP on BNB. We have a top mm -hmm. 10 PFP on Polygon. We have a top 10 PFP on Arbitrum, which I think all reign true today, right? I think now that little pudgies have bridged to there, I think that yeah. that's, that statement is true. And so like, how can you do that? How can you lean into the BD of other chains? So for example, the whole reason why we even did it was because our Instagram is growing thousands of followers a day. 
And everyone's asking, well, how that's going to help the floor price? Well, beyond the obvious of just brand awareness and creating, you know, fans and fandom outside of the Web3 ecosystem, right? I now can sell little pudgies directly on Instagram through their Polygon mm-hmm. partnership. Now that's right. not live today, but it'll be live soon. And that's awesome. Like mm-hmm. now when my Instagram has 5 million followers, they can just buy little pudgies in real time there. That's utility. That's thinking into the future, right? And so there's, there's a lot of interesting different angles and positioning here. But I think all in all, it's a, it's a no brainer. And again, we're not forcing anybody to do anything. You do what you want, but that's what Web3 is about. Web3 is about ownership and the freedom to choose. Like, that's just the truth, right? And so, like, why wouldn't you have this portal available for people to use? It almost seems counter Web3. You know, everything that I do is about pushing Web3 forward. I want to push this narrative forward. I want to push this space forward, right? Um, and when that time comes, I want to be, I want to be able to reap the benefits uh, of everything that all these other chains do. You know, Ethereum is going to win. I'm a firm believer in that. But to say that Polygon's not going to do more awesome business development is a lie. It's just true. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Um, I saw a tweet you had where it was like, yeah, you know, the pudgy, the low pudgy supply is not going to change. But once these uh, these these little pudgies bridge, like the supply is actually become de- becoming deflationary on Ethereum, which I thought was fantastic. So actually pushing on that point, like, do you plan to to not release any more NFTs? And, and it sounds like your real plan is to build the brand in so many other ways, create a bunch of different types of content, create fans, really just create fans, and then have this core set of like, initial, you know, NFT, like these two collections and have it just kind of stay that way. I'm not asking yeah, so, you to promise anything. Yeah, no, no. I, I think I think this is an interesting question because I think where the space has gone, has failed is because of greed. And so a lot of people have never made millions of dollars before or tens of millions of dollars before. I don't need to make $20 million in a mint. I've made $20 million in outside businesses already, right? Yeah. So my intentions are to build a multi-billion dollar business. I tell the team it's billions or bust for us. And, you know, diluting the digital ecosystem can be a huge con. Now, it can be a great moment for the company and for the brand, but at the expense of your holders, no thank you. And so I'll give you an example. Mutant Apes was a huge net positive for Bored Apes because they had overflowing inbound and the barrier to entry was too high in the Bored Ape ecosystem that Mutant Apes Mm. were actually a really good thing for them, right? But then you'll take somebody like World of Women, and I think they're great and I think their team is great, so I don't mean to throw them under the bus here, but they didn't have the overflowing inbound to do a World Galaxy. Right. And so mm. World Galaxy cut their legs from underneath them. Like for World of Women to have a comeback, it's going to be a really tough and long and hard ride because they diluted their digital ecosystem, pulled the liquidity out of their fans directly to themselves. And now you have this moment where you're fighting such an uphill battle. I will only make another. I mean, at the end of the day, like Pudgy Penguins, he's a bear, Mickey Mouse. Like, is there, you know, to build a really great IP company, do you need multiple IPs? Yes. Right. So I'm either going to buy them or I'm either going to create them. But if I buy them or if I create them, it has to be because the overflowing inbound is so great. Right. I see. And so like the the overflowing inbound has to be there because if not, it doesn't work. And if it isn't there, then it's going to kill the whole thing. And I have no interest in killing anything. I love that. Okay, Luca, this has been a fantastic conversation. I could talk to you for hours and hours, but we have to go soon. I have one final question for you. What do you love most about this space? I love the opportunity it gives people. 
And I just hope I can just trailblaze a lane to excite more people to get into it. I mean, that's really why I'm here. I think when we do what we do with Pudgy Penguins, it's going to help change the world because of what it's going to do for Web3. And so for us, uh, I, I'm just really excited for just the opportunities that, you know, so many lives change. It's just so beautiful to see people come out of poverty because they believed in something or they experimented with something. And so that's what I'm most excited about. And I'm most excited to see the innovations. There's a lot of capital that was funded from community and from venture. And like, now's the time where they better start shipping products. You know what I mean? Cause like it's now or never, right. Or the next, like the, the clock is running out in terms of like how long it's taking some of these people to make things. Yeah. So I'm super excited to see it shake out. I love that. Love that uh, answer. Luca Nets, thank you so much for being on the cool hunt. This has been a fantastic conversation. 